A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Gwyneth Paltrow worked for a day in the River Cafe kitchen. She arrived early, dressed in professional chef whites, ready to cook. Gwyneth is the only chef ever to have asked to clean and cook fresh anchovies, and for three hours, she did. I learned a lot that day. I mean, you know, just... When you're a home cook, mm. you don't think about precision yeah. and like repetitively turning out something that's perfect and exactly the same over a course of many hours. Didn't Jamie Oliver come in when you were there? <laughs> yes. You know, so what is Gwyneth? Uh, quite a few people said, "What is Gwyneth Paltrow doing in your kitchen?" We said she's frying anchovies. You know, so that was it was. This memory speaks to how professional Gwyneth is. An Oscar-winning actor, she built Goop from a simple newsletter into an influential and uplifting business with energy, elegance, and strong values. Another memory. Ten years ago, just after the death of our son Beau, I asked Gwyneth if she might surprise the River Cafe team and sing one song for them at our Christmas party to thank them for their care and concern for me. Gwyneth not only said yes... She sang four songs, danced with everyone, and stayed to the very end. In the River Cafe history, we still talk about the time Gwyneth Paltrow came to sing. I admire Gwyneth for being a brave, smart entrepreneur. I respect Gwyneth as a writer of recipes. Most of all, I love Gwyneth for being there with me that night and here with me today. Oh boy, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) That was so beautiful. Thank you. Gwyneth, would you like to read the recipe? I would love to. One of my favorites from the River Cafe, zucchini free tea. 500 grams zucchini, one liter sunflower oil. For the batter, 150 grams of plain flour, three tablespoons extra virgin olive oil, three tablespoons warm water, three egg whites organic. Cut the zucchini into 5 millimeter thick ovals, then cut them into thick matchsticks. For the batter, sieve the flour into a bowl, make a well in the center, pour in the olive oil, and stir to combine. Loosen adding enough warm water to make a batter the consistency of double cream. Heat the oil in a high-sided pan to 190 degrees Celsius. Beat the egg whites until stiff and fold into the batter. 
Dip the zucchini in the batter, fry in batches in the hot oil until golden and crisp. Serve immediately. So when you make, do you make zucchini, do you fry? Do you do zucchini fritti? All the time. Yeah. It's apples, one of apple's favorite foods is zucchini fritti. Yeah. And they're so good, aren't they? Especially oh when the, so one thing also you can do with zucchini that are slightly larger, I think, because yeah. the way we do it of cutting it into rounds and then cutting into strips may yeah. make it easier. Do you grow them here? No, in back in? east on Long in Island east, in the yeah. summer. We have yeah. we have tomatoes and zucchini for yeah. days and Ooh. days and days. And flowers? So they're long. so delicious. Yeah. Except I have to say, and I probably this is probably really unpopular, but I like mozzarella in them more than ricotta in them i don't put any cheese in them you it's don't? interesting now i never have that's because i just love having them absolutely just the flour and the kids fry them and then you hold them by the stem and you just eat them so if we were going to start at the beginning yes what is the beginning where were you born where did you grow up i was born here in los angeles in hollywood mm. and we kind of went back and forth between new york city and santa monica a lot i did a lot of preschool in new york city and i did First and third grades in New York City while my mother was on Broadway. And then the bulk of the rest of elementary school here and then moved permanently to New York City when I was 11. Can you remember the kitchens as we were talking about food? Okay, describe the kitchens. Were they very different, the L.A. house and the New York apartment? The kitchens were very different. So our our kitchen in in, in Los Angeles here had a brick floor, a red brick floor, Mm. and a tile counter, Mm. sort of like very country kitchen. Um, lots of windows and you could see the backyard and the pool. And we were in there a lot. I mean, I think with every house, you're in the kitchen kitchen. more than anywhere. Our New York kitchen was on the ground floor. We we grew up in a townhouse, almost no windows, but we had a big fireplace in the kitchen, which Mm. was really nice. Um, And it was more of a modern kitchen. It had been done by a Swedish architect. It was kind of minimal. and And who cooked? Well... When I was little, I remember, I mean, my mom cooked, my dad started cooking a lot, but that was later. He got very into cooking kind of when we were older teenagers, but we had, we had an au pair that would cook. My mom would cook. It was kind of like a group effort in the kitchen, but my mom was always like, she loves food, but she would get sort of stressed cooking, you know, whereas my dad was like, thought it was really fun. My mom, I don't think she found it so relaxing. And also you just mentioned that she was in theater at nights. So what was that like? So she would come home late after the theater, which when I was older was really nice. I remember when I was in high school and she would finish a play and come home and I would still be awake and we yeah. would kind of have a chat, which was some of my favorite memories of growing up yeah. in New York and, or she was doing um, Shakespeare in the park and I would walk down Central Park to go visit her and, mm-hmm. and watch her. Um, so it was really a wonderful thing having a mother so in steeped in the arts in, in New York and with all of the friends and, you know, the artists singing around the piano. And, you know, it was really a great way to would grow she, up. But would she have eaten, do you think? I often ask actors who are acting at, in a play, do they eat before the play? Do they eat after the play? Do they eat during? And everyone varies. Yeah. Would she eat afterwards? I think she, she would home? generally eat before unless mm. she had friends coming. Mm. Um, it's sort of an occupational hazard to eat after. I did a play in London 
I think in maybe 2002 mm-hmm. and I ate every night after the play and I gained about 15 yeah. pounds. Yeah. <laughs> there is also that thing when you go to see somebody in a play and then they go, you know, Ray Fiennes does that. It's always dinner afterwards. Yeah. And you do see the kind of fatigue and then letting go and probably eating too much late at night. I know. But then eating before you might go on. Did you feel stuffed when you went on to the Yeah, I couldn't, play? I couldn't eat yeah. before. I was too nervous to so, eat before. Yeah. So I would always end up eating after and go to Jay Shiki and eat, you know, have a bottle of wine and French fries and some kind of oyster. And back to New York and back to growing up with a a mother who was acting. And what was your father doing? He was making TV shows. So he was making shows here and in New York and doing a lot of traveling back and forth and then, and then kind of settled in New York. And that was great when he Mm. was with us all the time and, um, but I don't remember him really being in the kitchen until he had kind of slowed down um, how prolifically he was making yeah. TV shows. And when he kind of slowed, turned everything down a notch is when he really got into cooking. And would you have meals around the table together? Would you and Jake and Always. your parents sit down? Yeah. And what were they like? They were really nice. I mean, it was, I think we felt special being included at the dinner table, yeah. even though it was a nightly event, it felt, you know, like if they had friends over, we, we sat with them mm-hmm. at the table and had long conversations. It's something that I've carried on with my kids as well. You know, we always have dinner all together as a family, no phones allowed at the table and you get into great discourse with them and mm-hmm. hear what they think about things. And I think my father made me feel that I was valuable during those dinners because he really elicited our opinion. He asked mm-hmm. questions and my brother and I were very much a part of, of the conversation. What was his background? Well, it's interesting, you know, because touching on what you were saying before, he grew up without money. He grew up um, on Long Island and they were, you know, they were kind of a working class moving, try, moving up into middle class Jewish family. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have a lot of disposable income, and they didn't they didn't go out to eat. Mm. So when my father finally made it, you know, yeah. like his and he loved food and all the beautiful things in life, you know, he loved beautiful fabrics and paintings, and you know, he would take me to every museum in the world, and we would walk for hours. And I think food for him was really an expression of life's beauty yeah. and and our blessings and and Mm -hmm. good fortune to be able to eat something that was fresh and delicious Mm -hmm. and really well conceived and thought about. And, um, and he was so proud that, you know, we ate oysters and, Mm -hmm. you know, things that he hadn't come across until Mm -hmm. really later in his life. And I always remember, and I wrote about this in my first book that when we would get into the car to go out to dinner, like no matter how many times we had gone, like he was so excited. It was like the greatest thing of all time that we were going out to dinner. (laughs) I think that it's interesting because people that I've talked to, many of them measure their success in the ability to eat well. It's fascinating that people, you know, when they were able to go to restaurants and choose something, that they weren't worried about how much it cost or, you know, Paul McCartney saying that he always thought wine was terrible because he only had really, really cheap wine. (laughs) And then when he was, you know, able to go to a restaurant, somebody bought him a fabulous bottle of wine. He kind of understood what it had meant to work hard and what he could do and go even just going to restaurants. So that, that, what, going back to your dad, what were his parents like? 
They were oh. New Yorkers. Mm. They had so my my grandfather's grandfather had come from Poland. Mm. Um, they were from a long line of rabbis, and they were all uh, Ashkenazi Jews yeah. from Poland yeah. and Russia, kind of Belarusian. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, you know, had grown up. My grandfather had grown up in a tenement on the Lower yeah. East Side, and. Uh, fought his way into military school so he could, you know, have mm. three square meals a day and learn. He he craved discipline and order. And so he was very proud of himself that he had put himself, you know, had gotten himself in that position. And um, and they were great. And my, my grandmother, my dad's mom was a great, I mean, I loved eating at her house. Did you? Grandmothers are really important yeah. in food uh, stories. I mean, she made brisket and yeah. that it was like the best brisket in the world. And and then she also let us have junk food, which mm-hmm. we were not allowed yeah. from my mother. So, you know, we would go to stay with them and there would be Fruit Loops and I would yeah. be out of my mind. You know, Jake and I would be eating yeah. Wonder Bread with French's mustard and a slice of tomato and lettuce. And we thought it was the most delicious yeah. thing of all time. So, um, do you yeah. have a recipe for brisket? I do. And what about your mother's mother? Did she have- my mother's mother was a fantastic cook and entertainer. Um, she was a really scary person, <laughs> but she made the best food. She, I'll never forget the things that, you know, really sort of like fifties food that she made all throughout the eighties, you know? So her, the best deviled eggs in the whole world, the best Christmas dinners with like the, her stuffing and her, and, and her spreads would be this whole table full of the most delicious food. And it was only her, you know, did it on her own, on her yeah. own chopping and yeah. cooking. And her food was amazing. She was a great, a really great yeah. cook. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. You grew up in this house where your father loved to take you to restaurants and to eat, and your mother cared for you and came home after, after theater with stories. And then you left home. And did you cook after you left home for yourself? Or did you go home to eat? Or I that's when I really started to learn how to cook. Yeah. I went, I graduated from school in New York City and I went to UC Santa Barbara all the way across the country. And my father was in Santa Monica a lot. And I would come home for weekends or, you know, for some good food. And we would cook together a lot. Mm. And that's when we both really started cooking. And that's when the Food Network was just amazing mm. and really instructional and mm. tactical. And we would watch, you know, the food, ne- the food Network and learn things and try them out. And, and Or we would go out to, there was a restaurant in Venice that was kind of legendary called 72 Market Street. And yeah. we, we would go there and, or Chinois on Main, which is a Wolfgang mm. Puck mm. French uh, fusion Chinese restaurant that I still love to this day. So there's a, like a couple places that he would that he loved that we would go to, but but we also cooked a lot. And so, you, do you do that with your children? Do you cook with them? I do a lot. Both of them, or I cook for both. I cook. You know, Apple's really interesting because now she's kind of very independent and she mm. likes to cook for herself a lot. Mm. So, she, and she's vegetarian and mm. she has like really specific food ideas, which mm. is so great. And I love. I would say what she asked me to make still for her the most is um, lemon pasta. She went through a real like fettuccine Alfredo phase (laughs) and breakfast potatoes. She asked, that's probably what she asked me to make the most these days. And then Moses, you know, during the week, I don't, I don't have time to cook very much, but I cook kind of all weekend long Mm -hmm. and I really love it, especially Friday nights. It's like how I transition from my week to being like a woman in a body. (laughs) And do they cook with you? Or do they? Keep yeah, they do. You cook for them. I mean, Apple will definitely cook with me. Moses will help. Yeah. Um, but I mostly cook for them. I mean, I think they like being, mm. especially because when we were living in London, and I was before I started Goop, I cooked all the meals, yeah, and so they really they have nostalgia around me cooking them all the meals. Yeah. And so I think there's, I think especially Moses, sometimes he's like, why aren't you making me yeah. more food? Food, food you know? is love. I yeah. know, but do you think that your interest in cooking for them does come from your own childhood? Or I do. Yeah. Because yeah. it was such an unabashed expression of my father's love for yeah. us. Like there yeah. was no denying it. And when mm-hmm. someone is so excited mm-hmm. about like, the sear on their yeah. baby back ribs, you know, yeah. and like, look at this, look what yeah. I did. You know, it's so imbued with love that you can't, it's undeniable. And so you learn it as a love language. I just yeah. had this this weekend. I had a house full of people at our house in Santa Barbara and I was making all these different breakfasts and, you know, my friends are like, oh my God, we feel so terrible. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is my love language. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm so happy doing this. Yeah. Did you travel with your parents? Did you go to Italy or Spain or France? We never went to Italy until, you know, the first time I ever went to Italy with my father, he was when he died. He died in Florence, didn't he? He died in, um, he died in Rome. And we were doing our first kind of road trip after my mm-hmm. 30th birthday. And, uh, yeah, he kind of died on me, which 
complicated mm. the trip mm. <laughs> a little bit. Trip. Does it complicate Italy for you? Yeah. It did complicate Italy for me yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go back for 10 years. And um, when we were on our road trip, and I found out that he was sick and he had been coughing up blood. And I said, we have to go to the hospital. You know, he'd been hiding it from me because he didn't want, he really wanted to finish our trip. Mm. And I was like, this is, absurd. we are going to the hospital. And he was like, no, we got to get to the Splendido. He really <laughs> was trying. And I was like, we're not going yeah. to the, like, we're going to the hospital. And he ended up dying. And, um, and then I had a real aversion to Italy for a long time. And then very sweetly, Chris Martin, my first mm. husband, on my 40th birthday, 10 years later, and I was having a lot of anxiety about it anyway, because I think turning 40, I mean, I'm about to turn 50 and I, I kind of don't give a f but 40, I 40, was like, yeah. really had so much anxiety about it. Mm -hmm. And he, um, I, by that point I had the two kids and mm -hmm. we got on a plane and I didn't know where we were going. And we, all of a sudden I realized we were landing in Genoa and that we were going to the, to Splendido. the Splendido, which was so sweet. It was such a nice surprise was, yeah. so was it was that? like a yeah. completion yeah. but it yeah. was um but jake was with me and my two best friends mary and julia who've been my best friends since one since i was four and one since mm -hmm. i was 11 they were with me and yeah. they my father was like a father to them too mm -hmm. so it was it ended up being a really beautiful experience that we all got to be there and and kind of come full circle and now i'm you know we we bought a little farmhouse in umbria so where just south of the Tuscan border. Great food in Umbria. You have yeah. the black truffles in the fall. I you know. have lentils and, you know, boar. It's great. I know. Yeah. It's really, it's a really oh, special place. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited to spend more time there yeah. and to learn some Italian. But yeah. and what about Spain or France? Spain? So France, well, I kind of have told this like now, now it's kind of food a, wise. Yeah. <laughs> a famous story about my dad taking me, my, my mom was doing a, filming something in, in London when I was 10. We still lived in Los Angeles and we all made the trip over to visit her. And then my dad took me to um, Paris for the weekend and just he and I, and we stayed at the Ritz and we, we went to the Pompidou, we went to the Louvre, we went to all the museums. Mm -hmm. And my main thing was that I wanted to eat French fries, like French actual fries. French fries. Pommes frites. Pommes So... <laughs> That was the first thing we did when we checked into the hotel is that I ordered French fries. Um, and he took me all around. You know, we were eating all kinds of things. And and um, on the way back to London, he said, do you know why I took you to Paris? Just you and I. And I said, no. And he said, because I wanted you to see Paris for the first time with a man who will always love you no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. sweet. so sweet. I mean, what you've been talking about is memories of a man who loved food, loved you, wanted mm -hmm. to take you and you know, indulge in new experiences to do with eating and cooking and yeah. spending time with you. And I think that, you know, that is about what we do. Food is memory and food is love, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's Absolutely. really. And that's what you're doing with your children and Absolutely. what we keep doing and your grandmother. So many people I've talked to really talk about their grandmothers, yeah. you know. Yeah. Because I think, again, I do it with my grandchildren. I know that, you know, if you're a working mother, you're trying to get through the day or it's like a struggle. And the grandmother is a place you want them to remember your food. You want them yeah. to, you want to spoil yeah. them and, 
give them yeah. loops, fruit loops, and, and also a recipe that they'll cook right. when they're gone. That's true. Know, I, I often think about that, think about the food legacy of a family and what yeah. dishes go from generation to generation. Yeah. And yeah. there's also seems to be such a specific flavor profile. You know, it's like if, if I cook something, you know, my kids like the way I cook something as opposed to anybody yeah. else, yeah. even if it's, of you know, course. like they're, we're yeah. all following the same recipe. Of course. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Should we just talk about the food that you're cooking with Goog, that you yeah, want sure. us all? Because you have had such an influence on the way we eat, you know, oh. the way we live, the way we buy, the way we collect, the way we treat ourselves. Yeah. I mean, mm. it's been um, probably the steepest learning curve of my life. And it's also a marathon. You know, it's been mm. years of building a business and not having any idea what I was doing, not, not knowing how to monetize a business mm. and, you know, been through so many highs and lows and learnings and, incredibly painful mistakes and real triumphs that, you know, are little but meaningful to us. And so, but I do think that the cultural impact is, it's an important thing to contribute, right? If you feel whatever you're trying to do in the world that you authentically are trying to, you know, connect somebody to something good or that will be beautiful or uplifting, um, it's a very fulfilling job in a lot of ways to have. And, and so it's really fun right now because we kind of in this last year launched something called Goop Kitchen, which is um, only still here in Los Angeles, but 
I think we're going to expand quickly, which is not a restaurant. It's just being able to deliver on those brand mm-hmm. values of, of getting really high quality, organic, local, mm-hmm. seasonal food mm-hmm. to people's plates because the quickest road to feeling better is just yeah. watching the quality of the food that you're eating. Like, yeah. is it nutrient dense? Is it minimally processed? I mean, you know, that's why you're such a big inspiration to me is everything you make is so ingredient driven and so delicious. I remember when I first started coming to the restaurant so many years ago, gosh, 25 years ago. I mean, so long ago and just thinking, oh my gosh, there's, you can see everything like the beauty of you know that dish, I forget the name of it, but you have the sort of fava beans and artichokes and it's oh, like vino. the spring. Yes. Yeah, Roman. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, it's all so yeah. visible. And yeah. you just, you see it in your mind coming straight from the garden right yeah. onto the plate and just enhancing all of the beautiful aspects of nature and mm. great olive oil. And there you go, you know? Yeah. I always think that if you cook with few ingredients that we do, and I think in Italy you do, yeah. um, I love, I love going to Paris and having a, a beurre blanc over a piece of turbot with spinach and morel mushrooms. But there's something about going to Italy and having a grilled piece of fish with three herbs and a bit of yeah. olive oil, oh, or heaven. as you say, the vegetables which just depend on themselves. You can't mask it, you know. I mean, what was it like for you to open the River Cafe in London at that time where, you know, it wasn't like that? I mean, there wasn't an ingredient-forward food culture. And when Rose and I started, she had lived in Lucca for five years, and Richard's mother was a, a cook from Trieste who then went to Florence and then came to London probably 39. And um, we always say that she used to wander around London coming from Florence, looking for a view. She's always trying to find the Piazza Michelangelo somewhere (laughs) in London. She's a woman who said to me once on her deathbed, she said, Ruthie, I want you to put, she had amazing skin. And she said, I want you to put more cream on your face and less herbs on your fish. That was her her last words (laughs) And every time I put herbs on my fish, I was like, not too many. And every night I put more cream. But um, but I think that, that Rose and I thought, why can't we have the kind of food that we cooked and ate in Italy, but in London? And it was challenging, you know. If you, we served a papa pomodoro, and it had tomatoes and bread and basil, and that was it. And somebody would say, in those days, am I paying four pounds fifty for a bit of bread and tomato? But now I always put, you know, the travel. People traveled more and more to Europe, mm. and you know. Freddie Laker with his planes where you could go cheaply or whatever they were opened up Europe, unfortunately, right now, because if you want me to be political, Brexit is closing the doors. But in those days, we were all Mm. going and opening the doors and seeing what food was like. And so I think that really changed things. And so um, slowly, Was it quite iconoclastic, that kind of simplicity of food? Yeah, I think, well, I think other people were doing it. You know, Roly Lee at Kensington Place did a more French version of it and Alistair Little. And people also changed restaurants. I think everywhere. I think give credit to Wolfgang Puck, you know, going from Marmaison to making pizzas at Spago. It's like you could either dress up and go to a restaurant and be terrified or you could, but eat very well. Right. Or you could go to the local Greek or trattoria and not eat very well, but have a great time. We right. thought, why can't you come and have a great time and eat well? Right. You know, and I think a lot of people were doing that. Right. So Sorry. we learned more. We started knowing nothing. So, right. you know, we, we learned as we grew. 
There's a lot to do yeah. with food. It's love, it's history, it's memories, it's politics, but it's also comfort. Yeah. And so if I were to ask you for our last mm. question in this beautiful room on this beautiful day, <laughs> what, Gwyneth, would be your comfort food? Pasta. Ah. I love pasta. And I love that it can be the most laborious you know, hand rolling out and stuffing something that you are pureeing, like most intense all day episode, or it can literally be a sauce that you make in the time it takes for the water to boil and cook the pasta, which are my favorite. There's some garlic, anchovy, you know, chili oils, oil, but it always has the same result, which is just tastes delicious. And it makes you feel so good. It makes you feel full, but also I don't know. There's also an elegance to pasta and and I find it really just the perfect meal. Pasta and a glass of red wine. Well, I'm waiting for you in London. Okay. You don't have to fry anchovies. We'll just have pasta <laughs> and red wine. I want to get back behind that fryer. <laughs> Put you back in the kitchen. Come back in the kitchen. Sure. We miss you there. Thank you. <laughs> To visit the online shop of The River Cafe, go to shoptherivercafe.co.uk. River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.